Welcome back to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update and happy holidays, folks. This will be my last episode for 2022. It's been a fun year and thanks for hanging on. Thanks for listening. Thanks to my Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash lumber update. Yeah, there's my plug. It's terrible, wasn't it? Anyway, no, thanks guys. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, feel like this episode or this, this podcast is kind of uh, matured a little bit this year. We've had some great interviews. We've certainly kind of gone down the rabbit hole of urban logging. Um, we've talked to some sawyers, quite a few sawyers. We've talked about reclaimed lumber. We've talked about modified woods, all kinds of stuff. But today, in keeping with the season, um, I want to talk a little bit about the North Pole. Yeah, the North Pole and their buying plans or their forestry management plans. See, I'm I'm kind of one of those guys that uh, watches a movie and thinks about the things that happen. And I'm not quite as terrible as the guy that points out all the technical flaws, although I think it <laughs> a lot of times. But uh, yeah, this is um, it's like a good example is you know watching Avatar and that horrible scene when they shoot down Home Tree and it falls. All I remember, especially when I saw that the first time, is thinking, I wonder how many board feet are in that tree and wonder what the market value would be. Forgetting the fact that it's alien lumber and, you know, you could put whatever board foot price you want on that alien lumber. But, you know, the sheer volume uh, of that tree and the amount of boards that could come out of it. Also, like, imagine the width of the course on boards you could get out of a tree like that. See, this is the stuff that goes on in my head. I'm sick. I know it. But along this line... I've been watching some Christmas movies lately. Um, I was watching Fred Claus the other day. I saw the Santa Claus uh, elf, you know, and there's all kinds of scenes in those where you're in Santa's workshop and you see the elves building something. And I started thinking about the toys that they make and the lumber requirements for those particular toys. Then I started thinking about the volume of toys. There's a scene in... Um, uh, one of those movies where like they're celebrating, they're celebrating, um, you know, another successful Christmas season. So what do we do now? We start preparing for next year and they immediately start, I think this is an elf and they immediately start working on toys again. You know, it's, it's December 25th and they're back to work building toys for uh, the next year. That's a, a lot of lumber. And to plan for all that lumber, you either need to do what Ikea did and start managing forest concessions and going straight to the source and managing your forest for the type of lumber you need, or you need a really involved buying plan in order to get all of that. Add to the fact that there is a secrecy element here. See, now IKEA can manage all these forestry plans, all these different concessions, because they're IKEA. They are a, you know, a public company. Everyone knows they produce a lot of wooden furniture. Um, there's a lot of, of the environmental side of things that call it greenwashing, if you will, but certainly they've done their best to um, provide sustainable forestry initiatives for the volume of lumber that they consume. I mean, I don't know this for certain, but they have to be one of the largest, if not the largest manufacturers of wooden furniture. And it's all pretty much the same species used throughout. Well, that's all well and good if you're a public corporation. If you are a secret operation hiding up at the North Pole and trying to specifically avoid being discovered, how do you do that? Can you manage a forest concession? Moreover, how would you actually log that concession without it being noticed? One of the things we've learned about um, protecting the rainforest and preventing illegal logging in the rainforest is the rainforest canopy 
shows a very obvious hole when you cut down a canopy tree. And those holes have, and, and the, the advent of drones is what's been, uh, what's allowed us to catch a lot of the illegal logging happening in like the Amazon rainforest. So certainly temperate forests are going to be a little bit different than that. But if you have a logging operation going on, you're doing whether it's, you know, clear cutting or selective clear cutting or shelter wood management or something like that, it's going to be visible. Moreover, what kind of forests? There are no forests up at the North Pole. At best, you've got some access to northern boreal forests, but the volume of lumber that you would need in order to build a toy for every child in the world, keeping in mind they're not all getting wooden toys, but just you know, even if a small percentage of the children in the world get a wooden toy, like a rocking horse or a sled or something like that, that is a massive amount of lumber. So I think in order to maintain secrecy, it would have to be a blend of a lot of things. So it would be a blend of possibly managing your concession, but also buying selectively from different parts around the world. You know, you're not going to place you know, a monstrous order every single month with one company. That company's going to be like, who the heck are you? And more importantly, they're probably going to go, how do we get more of your business? Um, so you'd have to kind of spread it out in order to manage that secrecy, which from a buying perspective, that's that's daunting. From a shop foreman perspective, there must be a foreman elf, right? Was it, uh, what was the guy's name? Bernard in, in the Santa Claus. Um, he was the head elf. The, the, the head elf must have to manage all the various types of species. You've got like 40 different species going into a production line, into a millwork house, and you're building, you know, baseball bats. You're going to need a certain type of wood for those baseball bats. And that wood may not be good for your flexible flyer sleds or your rocking horses or your dollhouses you're building. And if you've got different sources, say you've got a, a species that you're working on. We're going to get to this in a second. Believe me, I've thought this through. I have no life. I've thought this through. So the, the, the flexible flyer department is using a certain species, probably something like maple. And if you're sourcing maple from around the globe, there are going to be working differences between like Northern European hard maple um, and North American hard maple. In many instances, actually different species. How is that going to interact? What's the quality going to be like? What are the widths and lengths and things like that? Um, what is the, the, the grade going to be? And how do you manage that when you've got a production environment? Now, the good news is, is every movie I've ever seen, the elves are basically making it by hand. You know, uh, there's no there's no mass production going on. Although in Fred Claus, there's a very much a large factory type setup there. But most of the time you see an elf at a workbench with a hammer and a chisel. So ideally, as a hand tool user myself, I can empathize with that and recognize the differences from one board to another are not going to make much of a difference because you're adapting as you're building. But if they're running like CNC machines and all that type of stuff where you need some standardization in your stock prep, that could be a real problem. So anyway, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but as I said, tis the season. And if you're if you're curious, I did a holiday episode last year, I believe. Uh, yes, it was episode 66, called the Special Customer Case Study. So if you are uh, still commuting to work the last couple of days of the year and need a little bit of Christmas cheer, go check out episode 66. Uh, once you're finished listening to this one, so look, come on, let's let's dive into this and let's figure out all of the the lumber demands that would be needed 
from the North Pole and how we might possibly buy for that and how we could uh, do it sustainably because that's really the, the, the important thing. Not even certainly sustainable from an environmental perspective, but sustainable from a consistency, from the ability to continue to produce the toys needed for Christmas every single year. So looking at the Christmas movies and all the episodes that show, or all the episodes, all the movies that show shots into Santa's workshop and, and thinking of like the old claymation Rudolph uh, shows as well. Baseball bats are very, very common. Uh, rocking horses, you see those a lot. Sleds, and I'm going to break that down into like toboggan styles and like the flexible flyer steel runner type sled. And then you often see like smaller items, games, you know, checker chess boards, Chinese checkers, you see a fair bit of um, doll houses. Uh, the, uh, you often see those little pull toys, like uh, like a little uh, horse on wheels or a duck or something on wheels, little pull toy type things. Those are all are smaller part type things. I think we can kind of lump them together. Although if you wanted to get real fancy with like checkerboards, you could think of, you know, possible exotic woods for a veneered top or really, really thin um, kind of, a, or I should say thicker parquetry type pieces. Um, let's just kind of focus on those four things. In the movie Fred Claus, when they figure out they've got to make as many uh, toys as they can uh, to prevent from getting shot down, they break it down into baseball bats and hula hoops. Well, certainly hula hoops, you're not going to make a wooden hula hoop, but uh, baseball bats. So let's let's start there. And uh, fans or historians of baseball will know that uh, baseball bats used to be made out of hickory. Then they moved on to ash, and then they started doing them out of hard maple, which I think is an absolute travesty. Um, although one might make the case that the home run record started to get broken a lot faster once they moved to hard maple. But if you've seen a baseball bat shatter these days or break, it literally is shattering. That hard maple fractures like it's a piece of flint or something like that, or quartz. It fractures all over the place. If you go back and look at older um, uh, baseball games where they were using ash bats, a lot of times the, the bat would break, but it wouldn't certainly wouldn't shatter. It would just kind of bend a little it would splinter the hickory bats would be the same thing you never actually saw parts of the bat fly off it would just kind of splinter and 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 be like swinging off the end of the bat because the connective tissue of hickory hung on the the, the working properties of hickory that make it so good for axe handles and things like that prevented the the baseball bat from snapping but more just kind of flexing and cracking a little bit so yeah, we could we could say that there are really three species, hickory, ash, and and maple, hard maple, that get used for baseball bats. But these these days it's pretty much if it's not some sort of, you know, metal, um, it's probably uh, an ash baseball or excuse me, a hard maple baseball bat. So sourcing that, well, hard maple grows all over the world. And it is uh, a dominant tree. It is uh, a shade tolerant tree, but also a sun tolerant tree. It will do well in just about any environment. Um, it grows big. It grows nice and clear. Although the heartwood being brown, that's not what people want. Most people are still sourcing um, the sapwood in particular. But there is an, a, a long established, massive, massive industry for providing hard maple in baseball bat size blanks, pool cue size blanks, and certainly typical four quarter or thinner type lumber. So I think pretty much you could source that material from anywhere on the globe. 
and maintain your secrecy. You also wouldn't have to worry too much about the consistency because maple is a pretty consistent tree. Hard maple is pretty much, you know, very similar. If the slightly different species around the world, you're going to find a lot of similarities there. It being a diffuse porous wood, a very hard wood with a high density, it's going to turn well, really, no matter what you throw at it. The drying is going to be particularly important because, you know, you think of the speed with which they have to make these baseball bats. And they've got to be packaged and, and put into storage, ready to be loaded onto the sleigh on Christmas Eve. So you can't have them in various states of drying because that baseball bat is going to warp. There's no time to twice turn these baseball bats, in other words. You need to put that blank on the lathe, turn a baseball bat, however long it takes an elf to do this, like 15 seconds? <laughs> I don't know. In, in Fred Claus, they're using easy wood tools. So I, to me personally, as a turner, that would be a lot easier. So whatever it is, however long it takes it, you imagine it's some unbelievably fast amount of time, but it needs to go from rough blank to finish baseball bat and, and literally finish on top of that. So you can't, you can't have degrees of dryness. Plus you're going to be sourcing, I imagine 12 quarter blanks, probably 12 quarter, um, billets so 12 quarter by 12 quarter if you will um, maybe it's 16 quarter i'm trying to think of the actual diameter of a baseball bat for the sake of this argument let's say 12 quarter i can't imagine it's much thicker than three inches or two and a half inches um, so probably as a buyer what you would want to do is source from a mill that's actually that's not going to ship you 12 quarter by six you know lumber they're going to ship you three by threes um, that would be most efficient because then it's a matter of cross-cutting to length, putting it on the lathe, and going to town. Uh, if they come in wider lengths, then you're going to have to have a straight-line ripping operation to prepare those blanks. There's, that's just additional time. I've never seen the the milling room, the stock prep room of Santa's, Santa's workshop. One assumes there's one there somewhere, but we've never seen this before. So... If, if I were, and if you look at a modern baseball bat manufacturer, that's probably what's happening is they're sourcing three by three blanks and lengths appropriate, appropriate multiples of a baseball bat length. Again, I don't know the approximate dimension of a baseball bat, but let's round up and say about four feet. It's less than that, certainly. But you would not, you wouldn't want, you know, a, a, a nine foot blank. Because then you, you pull out your two four-footers and you've got this one-foot offcut. And that would be massively wasteful on a normal production. You think of the size of the production of the North Pole, that is a massive amount of board footage left over. So you would be buying on the stipulation. Your specifications would be a three-by-three. Three, um, and again, let's just, four-foot is wrong. I'm certainly it's wrong. I could Google this right now, but I'm not going to. So we'll just go off of a four-foot length. Um, so you would probably want to source... 12 foot long blanks or eight foot long three by threes, you know, or, or 12 foot long multiples of four. So you don't have that massive amount of waste. You can bring that material in, you know, the cross cutting elf can go to the chop saw, whack it into three pieces or two pieces, depending on the overall length, put it on a cart, push that cart down the road to the, to the lathe room and the, the turning elves can make baseball bats all day long. So that's the first thing. Um, think about what kind of transformation could happen um, upstream of your facility to make your facility more, um, more efficient. But the other thing is, 
the more you put specifications on the material that you're ordering, the more you can start to build relationships with specific mills. And you can guarantee better quality, um, consistent, not so much quality, but consistency of quality coming into the shop. If you're just ordering 12 quarter rough material, uh, random width, random length, you're gonna get all kinds of stuff. You're gonna get percentages of an FAS grade. You might get, uh, and percentages that don't meet that FAS grade are going to be number one common, you know? Um, so there could be a fair amount of sorting in Santa's workshop before stuff even gets to the chop saw. Um, in order to, to keep up with the production demands of the North Pole workshop, it makes sense to kind of sort all that out upstream. Have those mills start cutting things up. More importantly, with 12 quarter lumber, drying it appropriately, trying to drive a 12 quarter by six inch wide blank is a hell of a lot harder than a three by three blank. So not only would you have them dried, you would have them ripped into those three by three blanks or maybe a little bit fat of that and kiln dried in that particular form. And I think that's what you'll find happens with a lot of like baseball bat manufacturers now. I know in the luthier world where a lot of them are sourcing blanks specifically for neck blanks, they are ripped into an approximate size. We're doing that that ripping into whatever that mahogany blank size is, two and a half to three by three, and it's kiln dried at that dimension. You're gonna get a much more dried and stable product from that. So I think baseball bats, species-wise, certainly doesn't pose a problem. I also think those dimensional demands wouldn't pose too much of a problem. The fact that you can source it from anywhere in the globe would help you spread that out a little bit. As far as managing your own stand of forest, that could be possible as maple trees can grow in northern climes. As we know, you know, Canada and Vermont produce a lot of maple syrup and that's all in northern climes so there may be a possibility there where santa has a silvicultural elf out there that is managing uh, a concession somewhere up in northern canada you know or northern asia uh siberian forests and things like that and could be specifically doing a silvicultural plan in order to foster uh the growth of ash or excuse me maple trees that would turn out good three by three blanks. And due to the turnover um, and the volume of demand for those baseball bats, it's possible they could be growing trees specific to make baseball bats. So not large diameter trees, smaller diameter trees that could get maybe a single uh, three by three blank out of it and then cross cut um, down the length of the tree. That could be very well done. They do the same thing with studs right now. They have uh, uh, forest plots that are specifically grown to the size to make studs. That could be a possibility. Um, I don't know that the, the, the tighter the growth rings would actually make a brasher surface, which would actually cause problems for, for a baseball bat. So actually a wider growth ring would give you a stronger bat. So there is some, um, uh, there's a case to be made for a faster growing kind of plantation style forest. And if that's the case, again, because it's maple, because maple is used the world over, you could manage a concession of, of um, high turnaround harvesting maple without really being noticed, without really giving up your secrecy. It also could possibly generate a revenue stream. Um, somehow, I don't think the North Pole needs a revenue stream. I don't think those elves are paid. It's some sort of like distant future Star Trek where they do it just for personal fulfillment, I guess. <laughs> I'm not really sure about that, but I do think that this would be a strong case 
for managing concession. I do think they would have to augment that concession with buying from uh, other mills around the globe. But because it's such a specific product, the bat, baseball bat, I mean, you could very easily do a silvicultural management plan that would produce probably higher quality than being able to buy from a lumber mill that is trying to serve as multiple types of customers. Yeah, yeah, I think that would probably be a blend of, of, of both in that instance. Let's move on to, well, rocking horses. Rocking horses, for the most part, could be built from any number of species. No particular um, demand there because all the various parts are small enough that you can cut around defects and things. It's the rockers themselves that might pose a problem. Are you going to bend, uh, uh, do a bent lamination for those rockers? Are you going to do a steam bending? Or are you just going to cut, you know, a curved shape uh, into a rocker? In the last situation, you need a wider board that then going to cut all that out. That's also going to produce a fair amount of waste. You think about um, the, the offcuts in either side of that arc. That's not really usable. You might be able to nest your rockers inside one another, but you're still going to have a fair amount of offcut there. Again, multiply that by the number of rocking horses being built, and that is a massive amount of offcut. I would think uh, either steam bending or bent lamination would be good. Bent lamination could be particularly good because you could end up with offcuts from other departments that could be laminated together. I tend to think, though, just because how Santa's workshop is, is um, uh, depicted in most of these movies. They have that kind of uh, uh, almost Scandinavian craftsmanship. Um, I would think it would be more of steam bending. I don't know. How much, how much steam bending you have to do and keeping it hot at North Pole temperatures might be a bit of an issue too. But let's look at both situations. If they were doing a bent lamination, that would be a matter of culling your scraps um, and keeping kind of the same species of scraps or possibly uh, a planing or milling or, or, or bandsaw mill that would be producing those thin laminations put together. That'd be one thing. Sourcing would be pretty easy there because of the fact that you're using thin strips. You can't really have defects in there though, but it would be more um, amenable to defects uh, because you're bending those thin strips than it would be with something like steam bending. Steam bending, you could source blanks, much like the baseball bat blanks, where you'd be sourcing, um, let's see, looking at a rocker, it's probably like a two by two blank, um, probably would be thinner, it'd be more like a one, one inch thickness by two inch wide. Um, that would be your blank that you would steam bend from there. That again is small enough. And the length of that, I mean, your average child's rocking horse, the length is probably, the, the actual rocker itself may be 36 inches. Um, so it'd be relatively easy to source that. You could be sourcing that from a flooring mill, frankly. Um, you could even use number two common lumber and cut around the defects. But here again, due to the volume you have to make, how much time do you want to spend cutting around those defects? And what are you going to do with all those defects? Now, in this case, those defects could then be burned in order to power your steam bending, you know, in order to provide the heat for your, for your steam bending. So that could actually be a really good thing to look at. Species-wise, if you're going to do steam bending, you're going to want to have, at best, a ring-porous type material. You can steam bend a lot of things, but with this level of production, you really can't afford to have failed bends along the way. You need a certain amount of, a fair, fairly high amount of consistency in doing this steam bending. So I would probably recommend ash or red oak, um, possibly white oak, 
Um, yeah, really any, any ring porous wood would work here. Red oak would probably be my best bet because like maple, it grows everywhere. Whether it's actual red oak or some version of the Quercus genus that's similar to red oak, um, you could get it anywhere. You could source it from anywhere in the globe um, without too much of a problem. You're gonna have pretty much consistent grade throughout. Um, white oak, you're gonna have a lot of competition for because of the coopers and all the distilleries and things like that that are going for it. Red Oak, you're not gonna have that same level of competition. Um, although that market has gone up pretty substantially um, cost-wise. Uh, the demand, however, is in for rift and quartered Red Oak. In this instance, you could use any grain you want. In fact, you could use a lot of the off-fall from the mills making rift and quartered Red Oak. You could probably get quite a deal on that. In fact, you would probably have a lot of mills begging you to take some of those smaller blanks that could be steam bent. So that would be my recommendation is build those runners out of red oak. The rest of it, most of these end up being painted. So, you know, a, a paint friendly wood, uh, something like poplar would be a really good idea here. Linden or basswood um, would be a good idea. But the other thing to look at here is a softwood because you don't want it to be super, super heavy. You know, it's not like the child's gonna be picking up and walking around with a rocker anyway. But, you know, you think about those poor reindeer got to lift all these things. Um, something more economical, easier to work with, and certainly takes paint well would be any kind of softwood. And you can source softwoods from anywhere in the globe. They are extremely fast growing. Often the best silvicultural management plan for softwoods is clear cut and then broadcast seeding them. So you could hide in plain sight. You know, clear cutting is so common with softwoods now, you could actually manage a softwood concession do your clear cutting and no one would think any the wiser you know satellite imagery would show clear cutting going on and no one would think you know is that all owned by the same you know company the north pole or could be owned by any number of warehouser international paper type organizations for that matter you could even do third-party concession management to ip or warehouser um and and you own the concession but they're actually managing it kind of like a landlord managing a property for the guy that owns it they could actually be doing the silvicultural management and the harvestry, and 100% of that is going up to the North Pole. To me, the most economical and easiest way to kind of fly below the radar would be to source all of those other parts from softwoods. It would paint well, it would machine very easily, it would keep the overall weight of the rocking horse down, and then you've got your red oak rockers that are more than likely steam bent, but even if you were doing bent lamination, Again, you'd be able to find, you'd get quite a deal on, on bent lamb uh, size parts and red oak. If you were doing bent lamination, you could use a closer, tighter poured material like maple or beech or something like that. And again, you would probably already have enough of that off fall from other productions that you could continue to repurpose that. So yeah, I think rocking horses um, could be relatively easy to, to source lumber for that. Let's look at the sleds. Um, the flexible flyer, steel runner type sled, most of those are made out of maple. Um, the good news here is they're thinner parts. They tend to be about five eighths to three quarters of an inch thick and they're narrow, less than two inches. 
um, cut into various shapes, rounded over all the way around. Maple's a good choice for this because it's going to route and leave a really smooth surface. It's not at all splintery. Beech would be another one. Birch would be another possibility. Again, all three of those species are going to grow in northern boreal forests. The problem with beech or birch is they tend to not be as dominant. Certainly there are forests of beech in, in like um, Siberian forests where all the, the um, birch uh, comes from, uh, of Baltic birch plywood and such. But there you've got a lot of competition for the plywood market. Maple, you're not going to have the same competition there and it it is as i said a dominant tree that's going to grow pretty much anywhere be tolerant to all kinds of different climates sun exposure things like that and it's going to machine quite well the weight is not really a big factor in fact having a little bit more weight is going to help the the sled you know function a little bit more and because there's essentially slats um the, the weight itself is not that big of a deal. The steel runners will still end up weighing more than the wood itself. The strength of the maple is going to be really good in those narrow um, narrow slats that they use. And like I said, rounding over those edges is going to give you a nice clean surface. It's not going to be splintery um, when the kid picks it up and carries it around. Toboggans is another thing altogether. You're going to need thin, light, very strong, bendable wood. So we're going back to this idea of the rockers and the rocking horse. Um, a ring porous wood is going to be best here. Something like hickory or ash or red oak would be my immediate suggestion there. Being able to get into thin slats, think of like um, the backs of ladderback chairs. That's very much the same type of material that you would be using here. Um, your ribbing, your framework would be out of something a little bit more robust. That could again be maple or birch or beech to be sourced there. Uh, a closed grain wood that's going to be really, really stiff uh, skeleton structure that you're then going to, I don't know if we call it skinning it on a toboggan, but that's the idea. Those The, the section of the bottom the sled's actually running on that is bent, that's going to be those thin slats of that ring porous wood that will then be attached to that harder skeleton structure of the maple or the beech or birch. Here again, these are common species. And the transformation that's going to happen to make these toboggans, like thinning out the, the, the skins, would probably best be done in the North Pole shop. You could source those materials, uh, even source it from like a plywood manufacturer where you're looking for thinner, thinner sheets or at least somebody with a veneer slicer while you're not making you know, one-tenth of an inch veneers. You're making much thicker skins there, probably eighth of an inch at this point. That could be a place to source it, but I feel like this is another area where the off fall from other departments could be used to make these skins. Certainly the ribbing, the light structure made out of the maple or some diffuse porous wood, those are small enough parts. And again, based on what I've seen, this is all handmade type stuff. You could basically just have, you know, the toboggan making elves go over to the scrap pile, go over to the, the trash pile, pull pieces out, shave it with a draw knife and spoke shave and be good to go. So I don't think that poses too much of an issue. In fact, it brings up the fact that one wonders if the whole toboggan idea was a new product line produced by an elf who said, hey, we should do something with all this scrap wood over here because <laughs> it would be pretty easy to, to pull that stuff together from what is already being sourced. Um, I think the flexible flyer department could feed the toboggan department very nicely. Um, you know, the maple being used in the flexible flyers, all of that, all those curves and things that cut into the flexible flyers, those offcuts would be perfect ribbing for uh, a toboggan. 
I don't know if we're calling it ribbon, just structure um, for the toboggan itself. Um, if we look at like the miscellaneous thing, the checkerboards, the, the dollhouses, the little pull toys, here again, you want a diffuse porous wood here that is going to round over really smoothly. It's not going to be the slightest bit splintery. And, you know, take, take a piece of red oak and, and round over the edge of it, whether it's run with a router or with a block plane. And it can be relatively smooth, but under stress, under, you know, dropping it on the ground or denting it, you can get a more splintery surface. Hard maple, for example, is not going to do the same thing. You're not going to get splinters popping up from it. Beach, go to, go to any uh, place that makes wooden children's toys and you will see beach used a lot. You'll see hard maple used a lot. Things like basswood or linden would be good here, but it's so soft that it could dent. It's not going to take the abuse. So here again, I think we're, we're going to be relying upon hard maple, beech, and birch um, for your sourcing in this. And that allows you to source from northern climes. So here again, you've got the ability to manage a forest concession um, and the ability to buy from these large uh, uh, beech, birch, and maple forestry companies. So I think you could fly below the radar there. Um, there is a possibility of using some exotics here for like your game boards. Uh, think of like a Chinese checkers board where maybe you've got a diamond inlay where the little um, divots for the, the, the marbles go uh, or a chess board or checkerboard or backgammon board or something like that where you're using various veneers and things. That could be a whole other um, sourcing thing where I think more than likely you would be sourcing the veneers themselves or at least you know, 16th to 8th inch thick pieces that you would either inlay or do some sort of marquetry or parquetry type pattern. Um, the difficulty there is now you're sourcing from regulatory hotspots and you could be sourcing possible CITES wood. You know, if you're using coca below, well, you now you've got to have CITES permits um, in order to do that. Um, sourcing Paduke, well, as we'd heard in our uh, last episode, that is now a CITES Appendix 2 species. So that's where things get really, really difficult. Um, so maybe if you're going to do like marquetry, parquetry type chess boards, maybe you stick to the less, the less exotic. I mean, technically it's all exotic when you're in a North Pole, every wood coming in is exotic, right? Maybe stick to like walnuts and cherries or, or, or variations of that, that you're going to be able to source, uh, in great quantity without raising eyebrows, without requiring CITES imports, um, permits. Or for that matter, drawing from the rainforest, which is have a big old spotlight as far as deforestation and, and managing the logging that goes on in those areas. So yeah, I think it probably makes sense to continue to source from the same people you've been sourcing your maple, your birch, your beech, your red oak, um, uh, et cetera from. So yeah, there, there's probably some other toys that we could lump in, you know, your dollhouses and things like that could be made out of softwoods here again. It's funny because every time you see these movies, they all tend to be working, the elves all tend to be working with white woods, you know, pines and maples and birch and beech, etc. So, you know, hmm, sounds like somebody's already figured all this out. <laughs> so now that we've talked about those demands, let's let's look a little bit. If you've got wooden toys you're making, we understand those demands, we understand the specs that we need. If we decide to, to manage a concession, we try to, to cut at the middleman, we know what we need, so let's go ahead and manage our own forest, our, our own forest concession. You'd have to have a separate division 
um, that would manage those concession plans. Um, possibly you might have private land, uh, in which case technically you don't need a concession plan because it's not like state owned land or something like that, that you have to submit a concession plan to, but you're going to want to have one just from a sustainability consistency perspective. You need to make sure silver cultural management is in place, or you think about the volume, you know, needed, you know, the North pole would, would denude that forest in a couple of years. So you do, you need to have a long-term plan, but you think about how long Santa's operation has been going he probably would have the ability to own massive tracts of private land. You know, he, he, he bought the deed to this land back in 16, whatever, and he's been hanging on to it ever since and possibly even renting it out to entities like international paper or warehouser or something like that. And that could totally fly below the radar under some shell company there. Um, but you would definitely need to have that separate division for that long-term concession management. Um, but yeah, I mean, based on the time in the business, uh, their concession management plans would be pretty amazing. If you think about how long they've been doing this and how long their toy demands have kind of stayed the same. Uh, I would love to look at the, the type of silvicultural systems they're using. I would imagine, as I said, for softwoods, uh, clear cutting or at least selective clear cutting for a lot of their hardwoods and their maples and things like that seed tree or shelter wood would be a good idea having crops um, harvests of similar age species would definitely be very helpful from a, from a consistency perspective so i do think that um, several silvicultural plans where that embrace uh, same age harvestry would be really good idea the other option to look at uh, we've talked about several times, is just a buying plan globally. You know, the nice thing about the North Pole is it's kind of central to everything, you know? <laughs> it's If you're buying from the Northern Hemisphere, pretty much you're equidistant to anywhere in the Northern Hemisphere. So you've got an incredible ability to source from Northern Asia, from Northern North America, from Northern Europe and Scandinavia. All of that would be really quite effective there. And you could spread that love out you know, to a bunch of different concessions, a bunch of different sawmills. I would probably recommend a third-party agent or at least an employee that's doing site visits to these various sawmills, um, certainly negotiating buying, negotiating, um, uh, you know, for a big enough customer like the North Pole, you could go in and demand, or not demand, but dictate those uh, um uh, the work done downstream. So when I talked about baseball bats and, and buying three by three blanks instead of buying 12 quarter by six boards, that that agent could go to those mills and say, what I really need are these size parts. Can you run those parts? Can you dry in those shapes? That's where a third party agent or at least employee doing site visits would do that type of thing. Um, having a third party agent though would help with a certain amount of anonymity, I think, um, would probably be a good idea. Being able to spread that lumber usage across the globe would certainly help for maintaining secrecy, but also from an environmental sustainability perspective, you know, you're not denuding those forests just in Northern Asia and then moving on to North America the next year. You definitely would need to embrace, um, that long-term concession management that would allow for you know 40-year turnovers and some of these mature trees 
Um, and being able to manage the demand over that 40-year period during turnover would mean a lot of kind of stair-step type concessions where you're logging from this one concession and then five years from now you can move on to the next concession and five years from there move on to the next concession and five years from there move on to the next concession and once you've done that 20 years have passed and you can go back to that first concession and you've probably got a good harvest from there or because they're able to buy globally they could do it over 40-year cycles and go you know every five years changing from one concession to another over the course of eight years um or excuse me over the course of 40 years eight different concessions and five-year increments would be um Wonderful. Now you think globally, um, eight different concessions is not very many. You might have access to 50, 60, 100 different concession plans that would allow you to buy selectively from each one, moving on from each concession every five years or so. Um, so really, when you think about the availability of trees, the sheer volume of trees in the Northern Hemisphere that would meet their lumber demands, um, that to me is probably the best sense you know, building that global buying plan um, and having that agent that's going to those mills, that's that's overseeing uh, uh, the sustainability side of things, overseeing the consistency of grade and all that would be really beneficial. And more than likely, I say third-party agent, it would be more like a third-party agency with multiple people going out and visiting all these when you think of the, that, you know, the sheer volume of mills that you're having to, to do business with. Most likely, though, when you think about the how long Santa's Workshop has been doing what they're doing, um, it's probably a hybrid approach where they have concessions that they actually manage. There are elves in charge of the silvicultural plan and buying uh, a global buying plan. And what makes me think this is I brought up earlier the whole idea of using softwoods. Softwoods could be used in so many different products that the workshop produces and being able to manage a concession specifically for this type of part, specifically for the parts in a rocking horse, specifically for the parts in a dollhouse, you could hyper, hyper, um, uh, um, hyper manage, I guess is what I'm looking for, granularly manage a forest concession to produce trees of a certain size that will produce certain size parts. There's a lot of a lot of flexibility there. And if you manage a large enough concession, you can literally down to the hectare, say this hectare is going to go to rocking horse parts, etc. That would that would produce the most efficiency in the least amount of waste. Then for the other stuff where the demand can't really manage it or some of those hardwoods like the maples and the red oaks and things then you go to that buying plan and you're spreading that around the globe through northern boreal forests and things like that um, but those softwoods because the, the the regeneration the regrowth rate is so high uh, you may probably still have to buy from some softwood concessions but managing your own would probably give you the best return so yeah um there's a lot to think about there. I mean, imagine an operation this of this magnitude, but fortunately, they've been doing what they're doing for such a long time. Like the spec side of things, that head elf, that shop foreman knows exactly what he or she needs, knows exactly what's going to perform best, which species are going to work, which sizes are going to work, the level of kiln dry that's going to be needed or no kiln drying in the case of the steam bent parts. So they've got a list, a very specific list, and there's very, very little questions unanswered as far as what they need. So they've gotten their lumber sourcing down to a science, whether they are actually sourcing it from their own concession or sourcing it from someone else's concession. Um, 
definitely it would be interesting to, to take a peek inside that department just to see this is how you run procurement for a millwork house. Fascinating stuff. So um, Santa and head elf, I hope you're listening to this. Um, kudos. You've done a fantastic job. Um, so far, you've managed to fly below the radar. You've, you've managed to source probably more lumber than any corporation on the planet and gone completely unnoticed, which tells me you're doing it in a sustainable, environmentally friendly way. So congratulations on amazing silver cultural management and amazing millwork house management. I would love to know who sharpens your tools. That's got to be a whole department in and of itself. <laughs> See, anyway, guys, um, love to hear your thoughts on this. What toys am I missing? And uh, do you have any any uh, other ideas as far as species for some of these toys? A lot of us listening to this show are woodworkers. Many of us are in our shops building toys right now. So good luck with that. And as you are sweating over that third or fourth or fifth gift that you're making this year, just remember an elf has made at least 50 gifts in the time it took you to make those five. So uh, a little bit of respect for those elves. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, go to lumberupdate.com for submitting questions, checking out our older episodes. Again, episode 66 is another Christmas special that I did last year. And keep those questions coming. You can email them to me at lumberupdate at gmail.com. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All the other politically correct things to say. Happy holidays. And uh, I will see you all in 2023.